to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 basketball podcast. I'm Carlos. No Greg, no Avery today. Uh, another somewhat solo episode here, but not really. We have a special guest here for our final basketball episode of the season. He is a UCLA fan, a youth basketball coach, an intellectual tweeter, and my uh, de facto Twitter spaces counterpart, Muna, who you can find on Twitter at shortcorner19. Muna, thank you for uh, coming on. Talk ball. Thanks for having me. Um you know, being called special is something that's very important to me. And, you know, this is one of the biggest uh, podcasts in the world. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of trucks. So I think that, you know, it just kind of makes sense for uh, my random brand to be on here. So, yeah, excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's always good uh, talking with Moon on Twitter. And uh, we're always on Twitter spaces after the UCLA games and talking about UCLA afterwards. So if you haven't uh, gotten a chance to read his very rational tweets, sometimes too rational. Sometimes I need to I need to coax Muna into panicking a little bit more, into being being a little more irrational. Um, but uh, he always stays I, I think you're basically the only one I can argue with. Like I, I generally don't I generally don't argue I, I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't really I don't suffer fools, so I don't argue with anyone. Honestly, I just kinda like let them just have the last word no matter what. But I think I have a little bit more respect for you. I have higher expectations. And so I will often kind of push you a little bit. I feel like you you do the same back. Yeah, it's fun. I enjoy it. I enjoy it back and forth. We'll see some of that today. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about UCLA basketball. We'll talk about Pac-12 basketball more generally. Uh, we'll talk about our favorite memories from the Pac-12 football and basketball season more broadly. But first, as always, some housekeeping. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We actually got several several reviews. I'm going to read them all just because we've been in a, a major written review drought over the past couple of weeks. Uh, one, five stars for from uh, Michael's 888, I think. Five stars for dunking on Sheer. He writes, I was conflicted when rating this show. At first, I wanted to give them five stars for dunking on Jason Shear. However, Carlos is a coward and retracted the statements, which made me want to give the show one star. Grapes was spot on, though, so five stars. Go Bruins. Okay, first of all, uh, I'm sorry, Moon. I just have to address this real quick. I never retracted my statements. I never said I don't know where people are saying, like, Arizona fans are like, oh, yeah, he needs to apologize, and he never apologized. And UCLA fans are like, oh, he's a coward. I've never done any of these things. This is crazy. I, can't, I think, I can't I think get over folks it. take the stuff that you say seriously, right? Like, I think that they think that when you're trolling, you know, it's pretty serious. Like, when you're doing the, you know, Gonzaga is not fit to, you know, carry UCLA's jock. And, you know, like, if I do, like, the... <laughs> top 10 like players from both combined players from both teams like timmy's the ninth one i think <laughs> they sort of take that seriously when that's not really what you're really saying yeah it's funny i mean i uh people always take it seriously and i, I mean i wouldn't it's, say it's, it's just, funny i try to make i wouldn't it, say it's funny i, I would say it's I find definitely it funny. something <laughs> uh, i find it funny i feel like uh i f- i feel like i try to make the tweets like absurd enough to to be seen as like oh okay he's clearly joking and fucking around but no one ever does i mean it's uh, I, think I don't the, know i find the, it i find it entertaining the people who are in on the joke definitely get it but yeah, i do think sometimes true. you know we get into fan brain and you know we're not really, no one's really allowed to criticize our teams you know and anything negative that you say about someone else's team and it's not even, it doesn't have to be negative just any kind of commentary about like oh this person needs to work on this thing becomes a you don't believe in us, you know what I mean? And it's just like, no, like your your team has some flaws and that's okay. They all have flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Um 
But uh, anyway, thanks for the five stars. So there's that solid and accessible analysis, uh, says Sonic Boone. I enjoy listening to this crew. Solid analysis of marquee Pac-12 sports with some strong insight of other conferences and their respective teams. That feels both informative, objective, down-to-earth, and fun, all without ever feeling like some of the obnoxious, blowhard approach of some other podcasts out there. Thank you very much. That was a very kind review. Uh, I appreciate it. Muna disagrees. I think he probably thinks I'm a bit of a blowhard and maybe not always uh, objective, <laughs> but uh, but it's out there. I, w- I wouldn't really say that. I think you, I think you <laughs> like arguing for the sake of arguing sometimes, which <laughs> I get true. it. You know, no problem. That's just where you're at. It doesn't make you a blowhard. I think you just find stimulation from being contrarian (laughs) yeah i don't i don't want to say contrarian but yes okay fair enough uh and then uh last review here good mix of personalities and knowledgeable opinions all of the ingredients of a great podcast it's the feel of a group of friends sitting around a table discussing pac-12 sports but unlike all of your friends they truly know their stuff they do not hesitate to fly their school colors but they do not delve into blatant homerism at all that's mostly true except for when i do it on twitter on the podcast though i'm like pretty even-handed so I'll, I'll leave it there. Hashtag anyway. serious journalism. <laughs> it's exactly. No truck stop serious journalists. Uh, I cannot believe I read all of those, but uh, what a, whatever. Here we are anyway. So thanks for the great reviews. Keep them coming. Also, programming note, soon we will go into full off-season mode. But first, Avery is actually dropping uh, and hosting a new episode this week, previewing the gymnastics NCAAs the you know the championships i guess i'm not a gymnastics person so i apologize if i got that wrong uh avery's going to be hosting that with a couple of gym nerds she was going to come on wasn't able to so i was gonna have her say a bit about that but go check that out if you're into or even curious about watching you know maybe you want to tune in for the postseason and and the in in gymnastics and she'll have a lot to say uh, along with some other folks uh, and lastly, after gymnastics is over, we're all taking a break, but I did post a solo episode just doing a deep dive into UCLA's loss to Gonzaga, a deep dive into UCLA season. All of that is on our Patreon, and we'll also be putting out content on our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. So if you want to keep listening before football season ramps up uh, in August again, go subscribe there. Along, And if we have any breaking news, things that happen, we'll post it on the main feed. But uh, for now, we're going we're gonna to slow it down, thankfully. Uh, okay. That's enough housekeeping. Let's get into the meat of our episode here, talking about UCLA. Uh, the Gonzaga game, pretty old news by now, I think, but the Bruins did fall in the Sweet 16 to the Zag, 79-76, and another thrilling tournament loss for UCLA. Muna, it's been, uh, you know, by the time this posts, it'll be uh, several days. Right now, we're on 48 hours, so any reflections you've had, new reflections you've had about UCLA's loss to Gonzaga in, in the Sweet 16? Well, I, not really. I think... I have since found out more information that more players went healthy. So that sort of makes things um, look a little bit different. Um, I think that it was a lot to expect of the team to beat Gonzaga with everybody hurt. And I think it was frustrating that it came down to one shot. But I think if we had talked about the score and talked about Bona didn't play and Clark didn't play, um, I think most UCLA fans would understand. I think the frustrating part is just the way it happened. And I think, but I think it's if you really look back to both times that Gonzaga has beat UCLA, um, I think it's fair to say that Gonzaga um, sadly has had the better team both times. Yeah, uh, and and to to your point about expecting, you know, what your expectations were with Bona and um, and Clark out. 
I sort of think like the the expectations got weirdly adjusted. It's almost like UCLA fans got a little used to not seeing a Dembona and Jalen Clark out there, and we're sort of like, well, okay, they can perform without them, so they probably should be able to do it against Gonzaga. Um, that's not ended up. That's not quite how it uh, turned out. UCLA was fine against UNC Asheville, a very under talented UNC Asheville team. Without both of those guys, they were fine for most of the Pac-12 tournament without them. Probably fell short uh, to Arizona because of it, but people sort of saw that they could compete with a good Arizona team without Bona and Clark. I don't know. Do you feel like uh, the do you feel like those adjustments in their expectations were warranted? Um, I think to be fair, I think most people were taking a wait and see approach. I think that most people were thinking that Bona was going to play because it wasn't widely reported that he was out. And then I think most people, when they realized that he wasn't playing, the expectation was that Gonzaga was going to win. However, UCLA started out so well, and it was so easy in the first half for UCLA to score, um, that it looked like UCLA was going to be able to pull it out. So I think those things kind of shifted the conversation a little bit. Just like we all kind of expect Arizona to destroy UCLA when we found out that UCLA was going to be shorthanded, and UCLA almost won that as well. So I think... The, te- the fans are just really following the team, and the team continues to fight and somehow put things together. Um, so I think that's really where that came from. And whenever you lose by uh, three or two or what ha- actually I think it was two points, or whatever it was, um, I think people just kind of ex- kind of pick at, you know, they want to ball the game down to one play here or one rebound there, but that's not really how it works. I think every single basket beforehand hurts. And I think that when you look at it, Gonzaga actually should have blown them out because Gonzaga had such a huge advantage um, with their rebounds. And I think the fact that it was even close is a testament to UCLA and how they fight. Yeah, it was the rebound disparity. It talked about this on the Patreon episode a lot. Massive. Uh, It was honestly uncharacteristic of UCLA. It was 50 to 26, I think, was the final rebound count. That's absurd. Yeah, that's absurd. You can't get uh, out-rebounded by double against I, I don't know I mean they're at least a pretty good college basketball team they're you know probably a top 10 college basketball team and the number one offense the number one offense in the country per Kempom uh, so ah uh, yeah you're right I think that's a, a huge I, people sort of are sort of have gone back and forth about well UCLA really should have pressed uh they, they should have pressed uh against Gonzaga in that three-point go-ahead shot from Julian Strothern or Dylan Andrews really needed to step up there and, and maybe he did and maybe some of that is true but you're right it's like they flipped five of those uh five of those rebounds that that uh went went Gonzaga's way and it's probably UCLA by five or six um it's really the the every single decision gets magnified you kind of talked about this on Twitter spaces like each of these decisions get magnified in a game that close and I still think that's true I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is particularly true, by the way, for Will McClendon. I'll just say that. The the Will McClendon hate, he got four minutes, very loud and very bad five minutes, four minutes, but like that pretty small in the in the context of the entire game. Right. And usually with a lot of fans, the best player is the player that's sitting on the bench because mm-hmm. he's the future and he shows possibility. So the fact that uh, Sanka wasn't able to play. 
um, or didn't play at all. Folks kept saying, "Oh, maybe he was the answer," and you know he should gone a few minutes, a few minutes here and there. Again, the the player that's not playing often seems like the answer. I mean, that might be true. Like he probably could have helped, but the the truth is that both games against both Northwestern and uh, Gonzaga saw UCLA being out rebounded. They out. The game yeah. was close against Northwestern because of that, um, and the reason they lost against Gonzaga is also because of the rebounding. So I think that that is something that we all really didn't expect uh, to happen. That's the one thing we were all, we were just kind of thinking about, like what's going to happen if Bona doesn't play, they won't be able to score, and you know they give up so many easy baskets. But the part that I think that we all kind of took for granted was the rebounding. But both times, uh, both teams outside of UNC Asheville out rebound at UCLA and that doesn't typically happen. Yeah, the the big thing that I think people are missing in this conversation too is that uh this one maybe falls on Mick Cronin a little bit uh is the fact that preseason we kind of knew that the situation with the bigs was going to be a problem. UCLA was relying on a true freshman in a Dembona to be its anchor uh, as a big man, to be its primary big man, to be the guy who's going to be getting 20 to even 30, 35 minutes in some games that they were going to rely on him. And that after that, it was Kenny Nuba or Mac Etienne. And I, I think Kenny Nuba has developed a lot this season, even within this season. I feel like he has been a much better playable player. Mac Etienne has had his moments, but maybe is slower to come along. Um, so in, in some ways, like it, it, the big situ- the situation with the bigs didn't end up becoming as big of a problem. It, but it was. Uh, it's they got out rebounded against Northwestern. They got out rebounded against Gonzaga. All season, I think they've been a much better rebounding team. But we've always had issues with the Dembona. Uh, sort of, I don't know, being not a great rebounder generally. He can get a lot of the offensive rebounds, but defensive rebounds, he's one of the he's like fourth or fifth on the team and overall rebound rate. He's like third. So I don't know. What do you think about that preseason? We talked about uh, their bigs being a problem. Um, Do you feel like that's what ended up happening? Do you feel like preseason our expectations were right that their bigs were going to be a problem? No, I don't think so. I think that this team is very good. The metrics really like them. They had a great season. I wouldn't say the bigs were the problem. I think I would say more injuries and the rotation. I would say those were bigger problems or bigger issues. Because um, when it comes down to it, um, Tiger was exhausted. Um, Jaime did his thing, but he was also exhausted. And I think that if rotating a little bit, um, and I know this is not going to happen because that's not what Mick does, but rotating a little bit differently, I think, would have maybe made a little bit of a difference rather than just the bigs. Because honestly, the team can't be that much better. I mean, they were um, a top five team, right? And if they ha- if they were healthy for most of the year, um, all of the year, they probably were would have been a one seed and would have gone further. Because a lot of their losses happened in the second half. Um, they they were leading the first half and then ended up losing the second half because I think they run out of steam. And I think that comes boils down to rotation and um, that that I felt like was a bigger problem um, rather than just the bigs. Because yeah, there wasn't much happening out of the bigs for the most part scoring, especially when Kenny's on the floor as far as scoring is concerned. But they they found ways around it. I think 
if they weren't as tired, um, I felt like they would have grabbed a little bit, few, a little bit more rebounds, and that would have been enough, honestly. Yeah, I think the 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 lack of minutes, the fatigue, the getting just the lack of bodies that they had available. I think that was the the biggest issue. So uh, we have a great question here from the homie James of the Cascadia Corner Podcast, which does a uh, I think a podcast on Pacific Northwest football. Uh, he asks, "Do you guys see this season as a success as a success from uh, UCLA?" What do you think, Buna? Is this? Would you say this season was successful? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think um, from winning the Pac-12, um, having winning over thirty games, giving it, playing really hard for as long as they did, um, giving fans something to cheer for, um, making the future appear bright. Um, those are all great things. I think um, it was unfortunate the way it ended, but I think that it's really, really difficult to look at the players. And the coach, and feel like they didn't give it, they didn't earn their spot, right? Uh, Mick definitely earned his paycheck this year, and the players definitely earned their. Um, well, let's not talk about what the players earned because I feel like the players <laughs> should definitely uh, should definitely get more than what they've gotten so far. But I do think that the players who have who got who have gotten paid have earned their pay. <laughs> yeah, I, and we could argue they probably should have gotten more, but that's a different a podcast for a different day. I do think the players essentially give it their all. Um, so it's really hard to lose one of your best players, arguably the most important player on your team, and lose probably the fourth most important player you have on your team and still continue to push. And they somehow just made it to the Sweet 16 somehow. And I think that in of itself, I think I know history will not remember the injuries. That's just how it goes. When the Sweet 16s are counted and, and this and the recaps are done, they'll just say, oh, they made it to the Sweet 16. That's the end of it. But I think that they definitely, definitely had a successful season. Yeah. You, I, I think people are overblowing a little bit the fact that they lost to Gonzaga for a third straight game and lost in the Sweet 16 for the second straight year. Um, I mean, I... <laughs> We know that the tournament is a is a uh, it's such a tired it's such a tired talking point. The tournament is a crapshoot. Uh, <laughs> it requires it requires luck. I mean, do you do you disagree? It's a crapshoot, no, it right? Does. It requires it does require luck. And it in this case, yeah. And in this case, it, it was injury luck. luck. And health. Yeah, injury luck. Uh, that is that is we talk about it in co- it's weird when talking college football. For some reason, luck is a much bigger discourse, like game to game things like turnover luck and all that sort of stuff there. It feels like there's less of that in basketball. One of the big things is injury luck. Uh, it's true for college football also, but it feels much more important in college basketball. If it's not, you know, the quarterback, uh, because every single rotation player has plays significantly more minutes and has a significantly bigger impact on the game than they would like in a football game. Uh, and, and injury luck getting to, <laughs> Staying at least reasonably healthy through the NCAA tournament requires a lot of luck. Um, it requires a lot of um, just making sure dudes are healthy enough. Um, yeah, and, and, and the UCLA fact that has had their fair share of bad luck when it comes to injuries. Um, do you think? Okay, so- here's my question to you: Do you think how much of this? When do you start to get concerned with the Mick Cronin era? It has not been lucky in terms of injuries. Uh, the first year, 2019, 2020, 
I guess there weren't a ton of injuries. Not that I can remember off the top of my head. Mostly that team was just not good in the first half and ended up getting better. Obviously, Mick Cronin's first season got cut short because of COVID. In the second season, uh, they lose Chris Smith, I think, to a torn ACL midway through the season or early. Actually, it was like the first, I think, in the first month or so yeah, of the season. It was early on. It was early, early. And then they lose Jalen Hill. Um, rest in peace. He did not, uh, he passed away later, but he uh, left the team due to some issues that he wanted to deal with or just felt happier not playing basketball, which is totally valid. But he leaves the team. Um, I think there was a couple of other injuries, if I remember. I can't really remember what the 2021 yeah, Johnny Juzang. I may have the ankle issues. Uh, hi, hi, Johnny edge. Juzang had a bum yeah. ankle also. Uh, and then 2022, Jaime Hawkins had, I think he had two bum ankles. Um, and then this year, Jalen Clark tears his Achilles and the Dembona fucks up his shoulder. Do you feel like, when do you start to get worried about this trend? Are you worried at all? And do you feel like you'll ever be worried about what's going on with Mick Cronin and his players staying healthy? No, I, I, I don't. I, I don't think, I think Mick has a reputation for that playing people who are hurt so i don't think he pushes them too hard i do think i i don't think that um i don't think bonus injury was because he was fatigued or being pushed too much i think um i, I don't think any of the injuries just they just i think they're flukes uh, they just happen to be kind of bunched up together and, and i'm hoping that at some point soon that um they would finally be healthy but I mean, it's it's just it's difficult to watch a team like Gonzaga, essentially have their best players stay healthy throughout most of his career, right? Something that hasn't really happened with Jaime as he continues to ascend, because every year he's had something going on with him um, that sort of kind of slowed him down, and it sort of feels unlucky. But I think it's just that. I think it's just a coincidence. I don't think it's anything that he's doing. Okay. I mean, I I do think there's something here, and I am I need to see like a couple years more evidence to like. Right now, this is like a baseless theory, but I think in two years I might start to feel this. I'm testing this theory over the next couple years. There's do you something think that about he's the just uh, overusing players. Like, what what do you think, think it is? I think it's a combination of a really they are way more physical than they ever were under Steve Alford. They are just a much more physical team. They make other teams it's hell to play UCLA uh on the basketball court and I think that has something to do with the way they practice and their identity and all this other stuff. Um and the fact that yeah, he he tends to run some players and I don't want to say into the ground but he plays Jaime Hawkins an absurd number of minutes. Uh, J- Jalen Clark uh, has become sort of the next guy that's like he plays in him. He leans on Jalen Clark super heavily. Uh, Jalen Clark played 61.5% of available minutes this year. He played 36.7% last year. Like a huge jump up for Jalen Clark. So those two things, a Dembona. I think, you know, he might have just been, in that case, I sort of think he's a freshman, and I don't know, I mean, a lot of this stuff, when you're a true freshman playing at this level and playing at the physicality that UCLA does, maybe it's just a matter of him having to grow, kind of grow up, but like, it just just uh, feels like they, yeah, they overuse guys. Well, it's hard to make that argument for Bono, right? Because Bono was often in foul trouble, and so that allowed him to get get more rest than... 
uh, probably Mick wanted him to have. So um, he would probably st- stand as a counterpoint to that argument about overuse of Jaime. I think um, Jaime definitely plays a, a lot. I don't know. I, I, I don't really understand why. I don't know if it's just Mick style. I don't know if it's, you know, um, Jaime not whatever wanted to go out. I, I don't understand it. Uh, because even against, you know, a team, a game like the Arizona game, right? Um, I don't know why he doesn't, I don't know why he doesn't take him out like ever. Like, you know, there's just, there's just times to do that and it just never happens. I don't know what it is. Um, I would really like, that's one of the questions I would like to have him, uh, make Cronin explain. Cause I, I do think he's very open and he really answers questions honestly. So I would like to understand why Jaime plays so many minutes, um, and Tiger, I think Tiger, he, he goes back and forth with Tiger. Sometimes he gets upset and plays and benches Tiger in a way that he doesn't really do Jaime. Like for That's true. As long as Jaime has been with him, Jaime plays a ton. I, again, I still don't fully understand why that is. Yeah. Um, and, and Jaime, I mean, I sort of have some conjectures and theories. One is Jaime doesn't screw up defensively as much as tiger campbell does you kind of alluded to that right he mick cronin is the kind of guy who's gonna like yeah yeah you you completely fell asleep on that play like come sit down for a couple minutes jaime Hawkins, i think does less of that and and also i think this has been a trend from what i had heard about um uh his cincinnati teams is that he relies on like a couple of shot makers and like those are that's his offense and I think he recognizes that Jaime Hawkes is a huge part, a huge part of UCLA's offense. I would argue, and this kind of came up in the Twitter spaces, I would argue he has more, he always has more playmakers than he thinks he does, especially at UCLA. And I don't know if that's just like a Cincinnati thing where it's like, I only have two guys who can like really cook or maybe one guy who can cook and everyone else is just like a role player. And that's kind of the reality of Cincinnati. And he's like adjusting to having a UCLA roster where it's like, oh, no, you've got three or four guys. Now, Amari Bailey has emerged as a real playmaker, as a real shot creator in his own right. Uh, you know, uh, Tiger Campbell, obviously, I think, is a hit or miss as a playmaker. Jaime Hawkins is obviously there, too. But, um, you know, Amari Bailey is the one that I'm sort of like, did you not, what, what was going on there? And so he relies on some of these other guys. It's like, if you look at the minutes distribution, it was like 38-plus minutes for Tiger Campbell, David Singleton, um... Jaime Hawkes, uh, Amari Bailey, kind of, and like it was, and and kind of nothing else. So, and it's it's confusing, um, especially when you. I think I understand Bailey not playing more, right? Because I think Bailey improved. I think honestly, um, he's he had it was coming off an injury. His athleticism wasn't where it got to at the end of the year. At the beginning of the year, he was struggling to get by people, and he was sort of throwing his body into traffic and missing a lot of shots. I I mentioned a lot of spaces and a lot of conversations and um, group chats that essentially he was, you know, when he, he liked contact and he'd go into contact, but he wasn't putting the ball high enough off the backboard. Um, and so he was missing a lot of, sh- a lot of easy shots. Um, but towards the end of the year, he just sort of felt like himself. And I think that's the difference. I think that he, the, I just think that he was just a different player by the end of the year. At the beginning of the year, he wasn't this guy. But at the end of the year, he was ready. And I don't know if that meant that Mick really couldn't trust him. 
fully um, because he, he, it seems that he didn't really fully trust him um, in the way that he trusts Jaime. I think Jaime may not make mistakes on defense as much, but he definitely makes the mistakes in offense sometimes. Yeah. And I, I, he does get yelled at too. So for some reason, when he's yelled at, he still gets to play through it for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I, and sometimes the Mick and Jaime relationship is like Mick, I feel like Mick disproportionately yells at Jaime. Maybe that's like a culture thing, but uh, um, it's it's also just that I don't know. I mean, it it felt like every single time I've never seen like if Mick Crone if I don't see bad shots or at least shots that were not intended to be made in the Mick Cronin era anymore. I think we saw it a lot in the first year. We saw it a good amount in the second year where Mick was yelling about dudes taking certain shots. I think the shot selection for UCLA was definitely tr- needing desperate improvement early on in his tenure. But I sort of think if we've gotten to the point where there are no shots that are not intentional that Mick Cronin is pissed off about. And in that, I say that because I think Jaime Jaquez was taking some bad shots, if only because he was tired. Right. Uh, we kind of talked about on the space that against Gonzaga, it was like, He's gassed, he's sucking air, and he's being asked to drive into the teeth of the defense. Like, hard. We have talked about all year about how Jaime Hawkes just has to take way harder shots than, like, an Azulis Tabellus. He's being asked to create that stuff sometimes out of thin air. That is exhausting. Like, go play a pickup game and, like, start from the key. In fact, just play one-on-one with someone. Like, playing one-on-one is absurdly exhausting compared to playing like two on two or three on three. Uh, and that's kind of what Jaime is doing. Um, those are right. bad shots, but I also think they were intended. Um, they were intentional shots. And I'm like, at some point, and we talked about this on the Twitter space, Amari Bailey probably needed to get, get some of those opportunities because he was probably much fresher, not having to carry the offensive load. And he's been really efficient. He's been insanely efficient as a scorer. So he is, he is an uncommon freshman uh, he seems a little bit yeah. more mature for his yes. age um because he he seems and he's actually younger right like he's a young freshman and he i don't know he just has the right uh, he has a great temperament and i felt like he didn't really force things i mean he forces sometimes right but he rarely forces things and he was willing to pass up some shots uh, that a more selfish player would have taken and yeah i think honestly UCLA didn't have, I think we probably honestly really just have two or three players that can create for themselves or others, right? Tiger could create more for others because um, his shots were, weren't really consistent. Sometimes he was hit or miss. Um, and he's so, he's kind of, he's so small and he's dependent on the pick and roll. So teams could sort of trap him sometimes um, and get the ball out of his hands because. They, we don't really have a good post player in that context, especially when Bona's not playing. So, again, Jaime is the one that can really create a lot. Amari started coming back, coming up to that and developing in that way. So, I, it definitely makes sense to me. Um, I know UCLA is in for some decent players, and so I'm hoping that they could get a little bit more players who could create. Because I, I don't think Mick relies on Jaime this much. Uh, just because he only relies on a few players. I think he just trusts the Jaime is the one that could get those shots. Yeah, I think that's right. Because, I well, mean, I... if you look at it, if you look at, if we just take a step back and think about former teams, we saw other players sort of g- 
get time to work through bad shooting nights. So he's definitely not somebody that he allows certain players to work their way through it. Yeah. I, I think uh, I want to take some of this conversation that we had and, and transition us here to the next thing I wanted to ask about, which uh, I, I, obviously UCLA, we mentioned this. It's been said ad nauseum. I think history broadly, college basketball, the college basketball world will not remember that UCLA was down two guys here, but UCLA fans will remember that year and this, and, and that fact about this year in particular. Uh, they were missing arguably its best player. You said most important. I'd probably argue their best player. And its fifth best player in both Jalen Clark and Adambona. Uh, both of those dudes were out against Gonzaga. Jalen Clark tore his Achilles in the second uh, Arizona game in the regular season finale. Adambona hurt his shoulder against Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament. He didn't play against Oregon the third time for the conference tournament title. Um, He didn't play against UNC Asheville. He did play against Northwestern, and then he did not play against Gonzaga. Um, You and I talked about this in our little UCLA group chat, but I want to pose it here. Uh, By the time the Bruins played Arizona in the regular season finale, they had clinched the regular season championship. Uh, they had uh, they had already clinched at least a two, maybe even a three seed. Let's say uh, if things really if they lost from there, uh, UCLA at that point was just playing for tournament seeding in in both the regular season finale and in the Pac twelve tournament. My question to you, Muna, is this: Should Mick Cronin have sat his best players? And and, and I don't mean just Jalen Clark and Adembona doing this sort of retro you know sort of hindsight shit but like Jaime Hawkes and maybe even David Singleton should he have just rested his starters I know that kind of sounds like a crazy discussion but if UCLA gets in this situation again it's gonna come up I know Mick Cronin would never do that but should he have and and should he going forward I keep going back and forth on this I do think I think that um I think it's okay that they were trying to win the tournament right um I, I do think that for me, and I think I've mentioned this, I kept saying this all season. I think the main thing is to be healthy. I'm not as I don't worry as, as much as seeding once I know you're in, because it's just all about just who you're gonna play, right? It's more more about matchups then. And folks would counter and say that your seeding seeding helps set you up for better matchups, but um, that's hit or miss, right? Because we've had UCLA be weirdly seeded in the past and gone further, and we've had them. Like, I felt like they were weirdly seated this season. So um, it looked like no matter what they did, they would end up with a second seed. So I kept going back and forth. I'm still going back and forth on this. I think that injuries happen can happen whenever. So I think it's not really fair to say um, rest them because they could get injured. Um, it could still have happened, you know, the first game of the, of the tournament. But I do think there was something to be said about when you've wrapped things up, there's no reason for you to keep going it just as hard. Um, so Mick's not gonna do it. I understand why. Mick's just not a not a not a given kind of guy. So I don't really see that happening. But yeah, I mean, I would have considered it. There is, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it too. There might have been the idea that maybe you're trying to get Jaime the Player of the Year as well. Which if he, I think playing in that final. Arizona game helped kind of cement it for him, right? Because he, because you said they won that game and and winning that game, Jaime played well. So I kind of get that argument, but I I just don't see what you really gain. I, you don't really gain that much from playing. So I don't know. 
I go back and forth on it. I've been in these situations before. I've and I've done both. I think it's just like a feel thing, honestly, because I know injuries can happen whenever. So I don't know. I don't think tournament like conference tournaments that are important. And you and I have had that conversation before too. So yeah, I know I'm kind of hedging right here, but that's because it's a tough decision because I honestly know that injuries can happen wherever they can happen in practice. So it's hard to say, oh, it happened because you weren't rested. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of of the opinion that he, I think in it's hindsight, I got, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I think probably, of course, knowing what we know now, if UCLA doesn't, if doesn't play Jalen Clark against Arizona and Arizona State, because I think they had clinched it by the Arizona State game as well, just a couple days prior. If Jalen, obviously, now that we know Jalen Clark tore his Achilles, yeah, of course, I'd rather sit him against Arizona State, Arizona. Of course, I'd rather him sit against what? What was it? Oregon, I think, in the first game. Um, obviously, they should should have done that because I know more now than I did then. But going forward, like as a policy, especially Mick Cronin having seen. I don't know. Maybe maybe he will actually start sitting guys because he now has a couple of really bad years of injury luck. Um, he has now sort of kind of gotten into the tournament hobbled every single year. I kind of think he might consider it. I kind of think he might get to the point where like I don't really care about seating now. He he kind of saw how much seating didn't really matter, especially in this year's tournament. Um, Maybe he's gonna do that next. I think if, like, if I'm Mick Cronin, or if I even have like an, if I even can get in Mick Cronin's ear or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, sit those dudes. Like, you win the regular season title. What? That's who cares? After that, who cares? Uh, let Arizona have the conference title tournament. I like a title, uh, the conference tournament title. Uh, I, I don't know why you would play those guys, right? If seating doesn't matter, as long as you get maybe a favorable region or maybe you get uh somewhat favorable more more favorable matchups we, we kind of know that if you sort of start doing that projection ahead of the bracket we don't really get much uh there it doesn't really end up mattering much you're gonna have to play a really good team in the sweet 16 or in the elite eight or in the final four so why bother uh i think you'd rather have your players healthy especially especially with the way mick cronin plays his guys during the regular season and even more so the way he plays his guys in the tournament like we know he is going to play dudes 38 plus minutes in the ncaa tournament he is going to do that so if he knows he's going to do that why not rest dudes it at, at at the moments where you where he absolutely should such as the end of the regular season like if he comes across this again next year let's say they're locked into the fourth seed in the Pac-12 tournament or something, or they're locked into the third seed because I I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, repeat as regular season conference champs again, um, depending on who comes back and who doesn't. But let's say that they're just locked in. You know, they enter the final weekend, they put UCLA Arizona in as the final game again because the Pac-12 is finally recognizing that it's a real rivalry, and um, they get to this point. I think they should. Why wouldn't you? Uh, I, again, it's like the pride thing, and Jaime Hawkes. It was like senior night. Maybe you play like maybe play him perfunctorily the way you did Russell Stong. But like I don't know. I'm starting to come around to the fact that going forward, 
I'd like to see Mick Cronin just flat out rest dudes if they're. I think I, I would rather. I kind of was want to split the split. Just go down the middle. I think it's. I think you play them. Uh, you just tell them you're going to get fewer minutes. So go hard, and then you're out. I think that's what I actually would have done. Like I don't know why you need to ride your top players like that hard when you've already won. You know what I mean? So it would have been a game where, I don't know, maybe Tiger plays 10, 20 minutes, 25 minutes or something like that. Maybe Dylan Andrews plays more. Because at that point, that's an opportunity for him to get reps going into the um, into March Madness. But then again, he wasn't going to play him that much. So that's again, that goes back to where how he uses his bench. Because I would have thought, okay, here's an opportunity for Dylan to get to work some things out and try different things just in case I need him. Right. And but those things didn't happen. And that that's sort of where I get confused, because for me and again, I, Mick has forgotten more about basketball than, you know, than I know about <laughs> basketball. But yeah, I have to question. I don't understand why Dylan doesn't play more. Right. I, I don't understand why, you know, you don't stagger the minutes. So if you feel like you really need to lean on Tiger or Jaime, you can stagger the minutes to you know keep tick out tiger put dylan in for a little bit right jaime stays in to help dylan out then take jaime out put tiger in for a little bit right tiger stays in to help dylan out and then finally bring jaime back in for dylan and then all of a sudden the minutes are down and they get jaime playing harder at the end of the game because he's able to sustain because I would argue that the reason why they lost, I think, four out of their six losses this year. Actually, yeah, four out of the six losses this year um, were because they ran a steam in the second half. I think that's a bigger issue than than playing playing heavy minutes in a tournament. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's almost more likely that... <laughs> I feel like it's more likely that Mick Cronin sits dudes and then him using his bench strategically. I kind of don't have faith that he's able to do that. To your point about their uh, six losses this year, uh, I'm just looking at Jalen Clark, uh, or who is this? Yeah, no, Jaime Hawkins' minutes in those six losses. Uh, he played 39 against Illinois, 26 against Baylor. Do you remember? Did he Was he hurt for some reason? Did yeah, he in foul I don't trouble? remember that. I don't remember that game very well. 26 he might have been is in foul trouble or something. He had three fouls that game, so maybe he he was in some foul trouble. I I gotta go back. That's and the look only at way the... for him to get rest. If he gets two fouls early, then he's sitting <laughs> yeah. down for a while. But so he had 26 minutes in that game, uh, 37 minutes uh, in the loss at Arizona, 37 minutes in the lo- at loss at USC. Both of those were second half losses. Uh, 38 minutes in the loss to Arizona, also a second half loss, and 39 minutes to Gonzaga, also a second half loss. I, I don't know. I mean, I I think there is something to him riding these guys too hard. And if he's going to play, I totally, honestly, I'm on board. I'm fine with him playing dudes 38 minutes in an NCAA tournament game. But then you can't play him 38 minutes regularly in the regular season. Jaime Hawkes played 37 plus minutes in 14 games this year. 37 he, those games three three minutes of rest is all he gave Jaime Hawkes in 14 games uh in 18 games 19 games excuse me 
that he played 35 or more minutes. That's absurd. Um, I don't know that that is sustainable to Jaime Jaquez is an iron man and he is a really, really tough player, but like, I don't know that other players are going to be able to have that level of stamina. Um, certainly I don't, I don't know the fact that the Jalen Clark injury happened at the end of the year is a bit concerning to me because we don't know what kinds of injuries he was dealing with beforehand and players are not going to say, or they're going to tough it through. But like, I don't know, you and I both know you more than me, I think, uh, me not being a real athlete, but me being someone who tries not to get hurt and pays attention to my body when I play basketball. It's like, if you, if you're feeling weird in your ankle, you're like, you know what? I'm going to live to see another day here and, and just take the next couple of days off. Like we do that, especially as you get older, you're like, uh, yeah, you know, it's feeling weird now. I'm not going to go on this anymore. Right. Um, and I don't again, know. I, I, I go back to Mark few, right. Um, and Mark few plays has a short bench. The way he uses his players is mostly leans on about seven players or so, but against UCLA, when he saw that, um, you said that was cooking his top players. He was able to, he'll start leaning more on his bench in a way that surprised everyone. But I think they win the game for them, for him. So I think that's honestly the, 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 the issue, like just that use of the bench. And I don't, again, I, there are, Mick is smart enough to figure out a situation where Jaime gets, still gets a lot of minutes, right? Uh, and UCLA, um, still stays fresh. Like if he plays 32 minutes, for example, in some games, and then you play him more in the tournament, right? he gets more rest. Um, somebody else gets more minutes, whether it's Will, um, which UCLA fans are screaming no right now because I mentioned Will's name and they don't want to hear that. <laughs> oh, um, they get so mad. They are not uh, happy yeah. with Will McClendon right now. <laughs> right. Uh, Brummo, like somebody could get more minutes. Or oh, actually Dylan Andrews. Who uh, Andrews, who actually has shown that he gets he he gets he he was one of the best players. If you look at offensive ratings, right, he was one of the better players in the tournament. And I don't think he actually got twenty minutes in a game all tournament. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's right. Um, I was looking at this the other day and thought it was kind of interesting. Like not too long after that loss, and thinking about the injuries and Mick running guys into the ground. Um, both, I'm, I'm just, you know, small sample sizes, but I don't think it's nothing. UConn has not had a single player average 30 minutes per game this year. Not a single one. Uh, their highest, their, their player that uh, leads the team in minutes, Jordan Hawkins has at 29.4 minutes per game. He leads UConn in minutes. If you look back at, uh, some of UConn's closer games in the conference tournament, UConn is go- goes nine deep. They've got a nine-man rotation. I don't know. I mean, you're going to tell me that the ninth guy is like a totally playable player all of the time? I'm not sure that they are, but like that's a real uh, that's a, a real disparity. Florida Atlantic, they don't have a dude. Their high their min their leader in minutes per game has averaged twenty six point one points per game. Twenty six. That's I don't know. Like that feels crazy to me. I mean, part of I think part of it though is it's hard to have this conversation without factoring the fact that UCLA has the pace they have. So if you are reducing the amount of opportunities, then you really do need someone like Jaime to play more because you're not creating a ton, right? So it takes longer to get the same amount of 
um, opportunity to score points. So based on that calculation, someone like Jaime ends up playing longer, right? Because he needs that just to score the same amount of points. Um, I think those other teams play a little bit faster. I think UConn can play slow, but um, UConn and, I mean, is if you look at two hundred and two hundred and fourth in adjusted tempo, UCLA is two hundred thirty fifth. It's not that big of a difference, and Florida Atlantic's is is one fifty fifth. Um, they're right, both about right. within one possession per game of each other. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm trying. Like I, I hear you, and I hear that point, and and that's a good counter. I just I'm I'm trying to make it make sense because I think that I think that because i'm i i'll be honest with you i just i don't understand it and i've been talking about this forever right and every space i do everybody asks me do you think that do you think that mick's gonna rest time in i always have, i feel like i'm breaking people's hearts by telling them santa isn't real no. i keep telling them it's not gonna happen it hasn't <laughs> yeah, happened to this point yeah. it's not going to happen you know for years <laughs> They always ask me, like, hey, is Abramo going to get, get playing time? Like, no, he's not. Like, because that's just not who Mick is, right? For better or worse, um, this is who we have. And I appreciate that. Like, I appreciate him, right? So I'm not going to go too straight away too far from 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 that. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I believe in using your bench. I've always believed in that. I'm not saying, you know, play nine or ten players or whatever. You can even have the same person sub in for multiple positions. Like, you could have... David Singleton could probably sub for three positions, right? The only position yeah. he really can't sub, only two are point guard and um and center. But other positions he could probably sub for those. So you can have him subbing across. You can have Jalen Clark sub playing multiple positions and rest people. You can have Dylan Andrews can sub for two positions, right? Uh, those are the things that again don't really understand why um Jaime needs to play thirty eight or thirty nine minutes every game to make sure that we are the best we can we can be so it was me trying to talk myself into it by going to pace <laughs> but you shut that down quickly by pointing out that UConn doesn't really have that doesn't really play that fast so yeah and neither does Florida Atlantic it's 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 truly bizarre and you know he has trust issues I think that's going to be the one thing where we're going to have to look he's done it again against UNC did not play he played Jalen Clark five minutes Five minutes. We know what Jalen Clark is now. Five minutes is crazy. This year was Dylan Andrews. Eleven minutes is somewhat more excusable, but he didn't rely on his bench. Maybe he should have gone to some of those other guys who were fresher. And he never played David Singleton that much either, like yeah. in the past. So those are yeah. all those are all things that players that could have helped a little bit more. I mean, he could have. I mean, Jalen Clark could have played. T- I mean, ten minutes, right? Could have played eleven minutes. <laughs> yeah, would have sh- would have would have shifted that game. I think. All right. Well, uh, that is UCLA. We have talked so much about UCLA, but they're the last one. They were the ones uh, last one standing. Had to do at least one more recap of UCLA basketball before we go into the off season. Let's yeah, shift on to your listeners because I was thinking that we were going to nah. spend more time in Arizona, right? <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about Pac-12 hoops generally. We did have four teams get into the NCAA tournament, three total wins among all of them. ASU won their first four game to get into the round of 64 and then lost to TCU. UCLA won its first two games to UNC uh, against UNC Asheville and Northwestern before losing to Gonzaga. And then USC lost to Michigan State in the round of 64. And uh, Arizona lost to Princeton, infamously, in the round of 64. Um, I, I, I want to know, what do, you, do you feel like, in thinking about the Pac-12 broadly, was this a successful season for the Pac-12? Oh, it was not. It absolutely was not. 
um, and the, the Pac-12 wasn't that good this season. Um, even our Arizona, as good as they were, um, had some issues that showed up. Um, and I think that Arizona State was just not consistent enough. USC, for some reason, just... Um, except for that one tournament where they got to Elite Eight, just they're just, just very inconsistent with their effort. I think maybe if Vince, if Vince had played um, more and hadn't had that injury and had, had had some time to work work out the kinks, they might have been better. But yeah, this was not a successful um, season at all for the Pac-12. It was kind of disappointing, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, I, I'd agree with you. I think I was beating the drum that the Pac-12 was a bit underrated. And I, I think in some ways they were a little bit underrated. But um, they barely got four teams into the tournament. USC was a 10 seed. I mean, they were safely in. They didn't get into, like, the first four or anything. But they did get in. Um, so I guess there was that. Arizona State barely got in by the skin of their teeth. Had some really brutal losses. Did not look good for the bat- for long stretches of the season. But they had uh, enough good wins and looked I don't know, promising enough uh, to actually make it to the NCAA tournament. But I don't know. Arizona State, USC are not particularly strong teams. I think you're right. Uh, USC desperately needed Vinci Wuchuku uh, to play any at all. Him being out with a back issue uh, really hurt USC, I think, uh, as their season ended. ASU. Uh, was, I think it was Peterson that had the back issue. I think Vince was because of the heart issue. Well, right. uh, he, I think Vince, Vince Iwuchuku ended up having some sort of back issue, I think. From oh, what okay. I, Drew Peterson okay. also had a back issue. You're right. Yeah. I think that's what I had heard. I, there wasn't super clear coming out of USC, but I had heard that it was a back issue. Don't know yeah, if that's kinda, the case. It, he definitely had a back issue. Um, I, I remember hearing that. And yeah. I kind of would make he was carrying the team jokes because he wasn't carrying the team. <laughs> he right? was not very good at all this year. Yeah. So I, I think this is, this is not a successful season at all. Um, no. I think, I think. Some of some of the pains of the Pac-12 can be attributed to injuries, not just UCLA, but uh, Washington State. Early on in the season, like they had like six scholarship players, I think, at one point uh, early on in the year. Oregon had something similar happen to them. So, like, but when they were healthy, they weren't particularly threatening either way. Uh, Oregon got blown out by UCLA, who didn't have a Dembona or Jalen Clark. Uh, they lost several games. Washington State had a few disappointing games. Although I will say Washington State was becoming scary before they hit the NAT and before team. they played Oregon. They were a fun team. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see what they do next year. Although we said that last year. So you're right. What do you think? Why? Why do you think why do you think the Pac twelve is so down? I'm not sure. Um I think for me it would still it's still confusing that Arizona had such a great non-conference um, record especially with yeah. playing some tough teams and then lost so many games they shouldn't have lost um it, it was it was such a weird year for them they exceeded my expectations i expected them to take a step back but instead they came out like gangbusters and then they kept losing the teams they shouldn't have lost to and and that that was really confusing i think that yeah i don't know because there were a lot of there there are a lot of returning players right so Washington State had some returning players. Um, Oregon had returning players. USC had returning players. Uh, I know UCLA did well, so we're not really going to count them. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe coaching? 
I mean, that's the other thing I can come <laughs> up with. Uh, but they have some good coaches. I think, you know, um, although he's not looking as great, but Oregon had, has had a good coach in the past. I think he's a good coach. He just hasn't shown in the past two years. I'd actually like Washington State's coach as well, so I'm not really sure. I mean, it does feel like, I will say that some of the middle bottom of the Pac-12 did have some really garbage coaching. Jared Haas, I don't think he's a good coach, and they kept him, by the way. So the Pac-12 is not getting much better at that level because Jared Haas is coming back. I think um, he was, I think he's, I mean, he he's a creative coach. Like, he's, his offenses are pretty decent. Like, the way, the, the, the stuff he does... Yeah, schematically um, they're decent, nice. but like I don't know, they're just such an inconsistent team. They're always so turnover prone every single year. So like I, I don't know, it's it's like a lot of people do say that about Jared Haas and really respect what he does offensively, like schematically. But I, I don't know. I mean, he's, they they have not been disciplined enough, despite being very talented. I think they have a really talented roster. They should not have been as bad as they were this year with that roster. Yeah, neither should Washington. To, by the way. I don't know what's uh, yeah. going on with Washington, but their oh. their players were better than they they looked. Them too. Uh, they underachieved again this year, just like they did last year. They have dudes that I'm just like these dudes could start kind of, like might if they had some development from Mick Cronin might start at UCLA. Uh, like Keon Brooks, Keon Menefield, uh, Braxton Mia. Like those are really talented players. I'm right, and they brought back Mike Hopkins again. Uh, he is, he, I, that's the thing about the Pac-12, I think, is, I kind of do think it's coaching. I mean, Kyle Smith, Dana Altman, I'm saying, I, if we give, if we're giving Dana Altman a pass, it's because, you know, the chemistry on this team, the roster that he's put together, maybe not the best chemistry, uh, maybe not the best put together. He, when you build your teams on transfers every single year, you, you're going to miss, um, what were we gonna say? But I, I mean, but I do think now as we're talking about it, that should have created more wins for the the top side, right? So because the bottom of the conference was kind of soft, uh, so Cal was giving out wins like there was Santa Claus, right? Um, and Washington was struggling. That should have given Arizona. You, you, well, I mean, UCLA took advantage, but USC, those teams, Oregon should have taken advantage. Arizona State should take advantage of the soft. I mean, that's what that's sort of what a team like Purdue does, right? Like they they take advantage of like the the bottom of the of the conference. So I don't know. I, I think I, I do think it, it has to be coaching because there are a lot of they have some of them have transfers and then the transfers when they leave their teams they do so well. Like you got Matt Bradley killing it. You got um, the guy from Utah. I can't think of his name right now, but killing it for Texas. Um, yeah. So. Um... Timmy Allen. Timmy Allen, yes. So I, I don't know. It's it's incredible. Oh, I didn't even talk about Colorado. They, yeah. They have a decent coach, too. I think Tad Boyle is good. And I also think their roster was decimated by departures. I mean, you know, obviously Evan Batty, a really good player. He just, you know, flat out was out of eligibility, I think. Um, uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew went to Oregon. I don't know. They really could have used Keyshawn Bartholomew, even though he wasn't that great in, get, in Colorado the year before. Obviously, they lost, you know, in 2021, they lost um, uh, McK- uh, McKenzie. God, why am I why am I forgetting his name? Uh, oh, my God. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't. 
Um. Oh God. Because I'm not in your head, my friend. Uh, it's a scary <laughs> place to be. So if you try to ask me that question, do you know what I'm talking about? The answer is uh, Mackenzie. Be, his name is Mackenzie yeah. something. Uh, McKinley Wright. Oh my God! I can't believe I. <laughs> there I you go. See, the, I was never gonna McKenzie. figure that out. <laughs> McKinley he was Wright. Good. He was good. He was great. And you know, yeah. obviously, 2021 was a little bit. Di- you know, they didn't. Ha- the 2022, they didn't have him. They lose Jabari Walker. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think Colorado will be fine and they will be back. Um, I, I I don't worry so much about Colorado, but like just going down the line, it's like Arizona State. They have Bobby Hurley. They could be pretty good next year if everyone comes back. If they don't get like a mass exodus or anything, if they all come back, Arizona State could be really really good. But does Bobby Hurley do anything differently with them offensively, or is it just like, yeah, you rely on them being able to? develop natural chemistry and they're gonna cook better i don't i don't know they're losing honestly Cambridge, that, that so is something that. funny that i think one day we should talk about um arizona state's offense is actually better than most people think just from a scheme <laughs> a standpoint okay. i think the aau ball conversation you're the minority up. they take they, <laughs> they take some it's a guard uh oriented team and he gives them freedom and it leads to some crazy shots but Sometimes they're able to create some great things when when they go to they go to a game like they have a game plan. They don't always have that, right? Because he he's he gives them freedom. But I do think the fact that like the idea that Bobby Hurley doesn't really um, know what he's doing schematically is probably overblown, especially with his brother, right? At UConn, you can see what's happening. UConn is running some of the best things um, that some of the best stuff. And the, and the NCAA tournament has come from UConn. They run some great stuff. So there's no way. There's no way that you know, with their dad being a longtime high school coach and sort of get him into coaching, that you know, Bobby Hurley doesn't have some of that in him. So I would definitely kind of. I feel like he does get a bad rap. Uh, but I, it's kind of funny that we heard that he was fighting, you know, beefing with the AD, and then he got a contract extension. That was hilarious. I don't know what the heck happened. He might have leaked that just to get, you know, his his agent might have leaked that just to get a a contract signed. But he, well, he was actually like two years ago. I don't know if you heard this, but I think it was two years ago or something like that. Bobby Hurley, like a friend of Ray Anderson, was like sexually harassing uh, Bobby Hurley's wife or something, and Ray Anderson like did nothing about it, and uh, and I don't know, it created a rift between them. There was like emails that got leaked, and it was like kind of a big thing so i mean clearly they figured it out because a bobby hurley is still there and b he just got an extension until 2026 so i don't yeah, know it was, just funny. Ex- it was basically like the, the report came out that they were headed towards a, a mutual uh partying and then next thing you know there's an extension it's yeah. kind of hilarious yeah weird stuff um weird weird at asu but just down i mean just going down the line i'm like there's some really underwhelming coaching talent here and only only cal made a move and that's only because they had one of the worst seasons in pac-12 history so yeah, cal had to make a move cal uh, had to make a so move. they actually may even i mean i really feel bad for them i feel like they actually need to like burn sage like at their gym just to kind of remove this season i think they should just try to disappear the season from the record books just just you know Especially change the name of the school, change the name of the mascot. I mean, it just needs to get as far away from this season as possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, truly. it's uh, This was a, a – gar- like, I have never seen a basketball team this bad. 
that. So Cal, I hope they move on. Um, they are they are in contention. I think for the what's his name? Uh, it's Sharif Abdur Rahim's brother, but I can't remember his name. He's the coach at uh, I don't know. Um, damn, uh, Amir Amir Abdur Rahim. Oh, okay. he's the coach at Kennesaw State, and apparently they were reaching out to him. Anyway, so I, I think I think you're right. I think it was a disappointing season. I think this was the the hard part is I'm not sure if it's going to get much better. The rosters will get better. Like I think USC's roster could look really good next year. I think Arizona State's roster could look very good next year. Um, UCLA's roster somewhere between it, it could be a lot worse or a lot younger, and it also could be a lot better. Just depending. I mean, on we may have back. some people come back that surprise some folks. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens with UCLA. So I, I don't know. The rosters will be very intriguing, but the coaching talent is the thing that, that really hurts. So, um, okay. Is there anything else? Any other, what do you, do you have like any big surprise things you were really surprised by from the Pac-12 season from what you know, or any big disappointments? Well, I think think Oregon for sure. I mean, you know that I I think highly of Dana Altman, and I always have. And so I I just, I don't know what's going on in in Eugene. I don't understand what's going on there. I expected them to be better. I hope they figure it out uh, just so that I look better because I don't, you know, I don't like being this wrong about a coach. And he definitely (laughs) showed, he definitely proved me right in the past, but yeah, he needs to figure it out. And honestly, some of his comments are kind of hilarious to me. The comment about you know nobody coming out for the NIT game, yeah. I, I I I get his frustration, but I kind of thought it was funny because they're not that far removed from being like a Pac-12 winning team and and you know being in the NCAA tournament. And so it makes sense to me that f- folks that have tasted that much um, joy recently aren't exactly getting up for the NIT. But hey, that's just me. Yeah, it's different. If it was like, if they, if if this was like Dana Altman's third year and he had been a rebuilding project and they had like, they had this exact same season and they went to the NIT, that place would be pretty packed. Yeah, it'd be exciting. Yeah, but they won a conference tournament title in 2019, won back-to-back regular season titles uh, in the conference in 2020 and 2021. 2021 2022 was was a really disappointing tire fire disaster garbage whatever you want to call it dumpster fire and then 2022 all the, all 2023 the at once yeah 2022 23 not much better and you know i don't know what do you expect people do you are think disappointed they just have the wrong best player you know it feels to me that like there's two there's two theories one is dana Ullman's lost his magic he's getting tired He's not, there's some stuff that he was doing before that he's not doing anymore. Or it was just, they've had this, they had a a, a lot of um, returning production this year, more than they normally do. And mm-hmm. it could just be that the roster just was not gelling. Will Richardson has gotten worse every single season has been, he's been at Oregon for five years and he has gotten worse every single year, which is. Which is kind of an oh, indictment on. It is a little Altman. bit. Yeah. Yeah, it really is, I think. Um, that is his his trajectory downwards. He went from preseason consensus Pac-12 player of the year favorite in like 21 to like no one, absolutely no one at the beginning of the season was expecting Will Richardson to do anything of significance. 
and he kind of didn't. Um, so I think it maybe it's just something about the roster and the way they've gelled. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's really it's really odd to me if they clean house a little bit and get a different group of players. Well, yeah. I think that'd be a good test. Dana, I think he, have I, it. but I think the, it's funny to me because this was the same conversation we had last year, right? He had said. I need to get back to my roots. It was really bad last year, you know, that year. I'm going to, and we're going to clean this up. And then they had this year. So he, he probably is going to think I need to get back to my roots and I need to clean up and find the right kind of players. Hopefully he doesn't have that same conversation next year and end up next year. Cause at some point the athletic director is going to have to say, we need to get back to our roots. We're going to clean house and then clean house and get him out of there. Right. Um, yeah. Do you think Muhammad gay is coming back by the way? I don't know. I've heard that he. I heard that there's no chance. Um, but okay. I don't know where he is in the mock drafts. Um, he's a really talented big, but I'd be curious to see if he comes back. Um, it really he's is. fun to watch. Yeah. I still am. I'm. I'm still amazed that Bona was better than him in high school. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you watch. Yeah, you watch Gay, and you're like, man, this dude's like seven one and can move like a guard. Like it's kind of crazy i yeah. mean he's defensively i, I mean think he improved a lot by coming out early so maybe that's that's the argument for bonin to come back but yeah, yeah he's he seems like the better player right now yeah very interesting well all right that's it that was all we've got i've got to get a bed for an early morning flight moon has got to get a bed because a child will soon be waking him up in the middle of the night uh <laughs> maybe i don't know if that's how it works but uh, thanks so much, Muna, for coming on. Uh, we I really appreciate it. If you, the listener, want a deeper dive into the UCLA-Gonzaga game or anything else UCLA basketball-related or Pac-12-related, subscribe to our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. Again, another special thanks to Muna for uh, coming on. Muna, where can uh, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at ShortCorner19. ShortCorner19. Right. And uh, Carlos, this has been fun. Thanks for having me. Uh, reach out anytime. Uh, thank you very much. I absolutely will do that. All right. I'm out of here. That's Muna. I'm Carlos. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Rumors still and thick with smoke. So thick it makes you choke. The crowd falls in. The coffee's kicking in my patience. I'm lonelier than a single sex on a quiet city.